Welcome to the Dr. Aaron L. Albert Show. I am your host, Aaron Albert, and we're going to talk about a variety of topics, both inside healthcare, life sciences, and pharma, as well as outside. In this podcast, I'll share with you some of the best tips, tricks, best practices, books, and resources out there to help you live a better life. So stay tuned, an episode is just up next. Okay, well, the podcast mini-series is continuing onward about tribes, associations, and organizations, and today's guest is Dr. Lisa Holly, and she is with ISOP, the International Society of Oncology Pharmacy Practitioners, and she is treasurer of the organization. So with that, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Erin. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yes, I'm so excited to finally have an oncologist pharmacist on the show. There's, they seem to be somewhat rare in my world. So I, I inevitably like to ask the first question of how you got to where you are today in your own career relative, especially to oncology, Lisa. Sure. I think, um, you know, many of us have aspirations as a young adult. So during um, high school, I wanted to be one of those people who could work on the cure for cancer. Um, and as most young people, you don't really understand all the different opportunities that you have in a profession. And I thought the way to do that was to become a biomedical engineer. I quickly sort of learned in college that maybe that wasn't the right path for me. Um, and I wasn't quite sure how to go about it, but I, I guess serendipitously ended up with a job during my university years working within a pharmacy department at an academic medical center. And it was there that they really taught me the opportunities that the pharmacy career offers. Um, so I, I went to pharmacy school, again, sort of just didn't really understand exactly all of my roles, but had incredible mentors throughout that program who encouraged me to apply for postgraduate training um, in oncology because that was my area of interest. And in doing so, I applied to residency programs throughout the country and was fortunate enough to uh, get a residency at the MD Anderson Cancer Center, one of the premier oncology practices within the United States, if not throughout the world. Uh, and then from there on, I've had a variety of different opportunities in my professional career, working in academia, in pr the private practice area within a veterans um, administration, and also was able to uh, work in medical communications with a focus on oncology for many years uh, so that I could actually work part-time and be at home with my kids as I was raising them. Uh, I then... Uh, in my career learned very quickly that it was important to be involved in professional organizations um, because that meant a lot to me to be able to gain that professional development uh, from those organizations. And during my career, our national organization, HOPA, the Hematology of Oncology Pharmacy Practice, uh, developed and I became very actively involved in that. But prior to that, I was able to go to one of the ISOP meetings, the first one that was held in the United States in, a, in the late 1990s and found that you know, having this global reach that ISOP has was very intriguing to me. So as my career advanced and I became involved in our national organization, I desired to want to have a global, uh, learn more about the global healthcare practices around the world and became more actively involved in ISOP and have been um, actively involved in the leadership for, I guess, the past four or five years, um, currently, as you mentioned, as treasurer. 
Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I, again, I don't know that much about oncology pharmacy organization. So I'm glad that you uh, talked a little bit about HOPA as well. But we're here today to talk about the International Society of Oncology Pharmacy Practitioners, or ISOP. So let's begin briefly with what the mission, vision, and or values of ISOP would be. Sure. ISOP's mission is to particularly advance the oncology pharmacy practice care for patients throughout the world. So this is a global organization. And we really believe that we can improve the lives of those touched by cancer by advancing our profession. Um, and without, throughout the globe, um, we believe that's possible by engaging pharmacists who work in the oncology area and mobilizing that community to work together. So um, as everybody knows, uh, healthcare varies drastically throughout the world. And for those lucky of us to live in developed countries like the United States, Canada, Australia, Europe, the practice of oncology and oncology pharmacy is what we would consider to be advanced. Um, we also have access to medications that are considered to be appropriate for the treatment of cancer, but that's not true throughout the entire world. And oncology pharmacy may be just starting in some parts of the world. It may have been around for a while, but members may not have access to medications or resources for diagnosis, treatment, screening of cancers. And so by able, by delivering oncology pharmacy development, professional development, education, doing collaborative advocacy initiatives, we believe that we can really advance that practice and therefore improve the lives of patients with cancer. Awesome. And I didn't ask this question offline, but just out of curiosity, Lisa, in being part of an international society on oncology, what what countries have you seen as really aggressive and or progressive when it comes to treatment of cancer beyond the United States? Um, Australia, Canada, and parts of Europe, not all of Europe, some of Europe is still uh, starting to develop their oncology pharmacy uh, core, if you will, of members. Um, I think those are the areas where there's the most progressive oncology pharmacy practices. And also those are the countries or parts of the world that have access to most of the anti-cancer medications that are approved for the treatments of a variety of cancers. Um, there are other pockets throughout the world where there may be uh, groups or institutions who may be at the forefront of oncology practice and oncology pharmacy practice, but in general, those are the countries or areas of the world where there is the most advanced practice. Perfect, thank you for going off the record there with me a little bit. So the new decade is coming, and that was the whole onus of doing this podcast mini-series, just looking at different pharmacy organizations, associations, and tribes to help other pharmacists think about who they want to invest their time and resources into and being part of, and you mentioned in the beginning that that was an integral part of your own career development. But in terms of ISOP, now that the new decade is coming, what or how is the organization moving forward relative to its own goals for the next 10 years? As I mentioned, one of the core uh, emphasis of our organization is member engagement. And we've been doing member engagement for a long time with our annual or biannual symposia that we hold, um, offering uh, access to educational professional development programs. But we have continued to evolve those and offer new types of programming that can have a farther reach throughout the globe. Um, you know, obviously we keep in touch with technology and things of those nature, but even getting education to areas of the world that doesn't doesn't have um, 
the international emphasis of global oncology practice taken to their areas of the world on a regular basis. So for example, we host are hosting regional uh, symposia now. Um, we've done one in Australia, Asia area for a number of years, but we did our first African regional oncology pharmacy meeting in May of this last year. And a second one will be held in 2020. Uh, we were able to have a very much larger turnout that we expected, lots of interest from African nations. Uh, this last one was held in Kenya. We had eight different African nations represented there and had a day and a half conference along with a masterclass, which is uh, geared towards providing some additional education to oncology pharmacists who may not have had training specifically in oncology pharmacy. We're also doing things like partnering with other organizations. So we have done a lot of work with the Union for International Cancer Council or UICC. Um, we work with uh, the World Health Organization on their essential medication list. This is a list of medications that, that the World Health Organization and many of us believe should be the very minimum type of, of medications that should be available to every person in the world. Um, and it's interesting, you know, coming from a developed country like the US, we just were so consumed with, you know, are we getting the best drug available to our patients where in many parts of the world, they can't even have access to a drug that is considered to be standard for many, many years. So we continue to try to have these member uh, opportunities available for professional development to support the members that we have throughout the world. Uh, we also um, are continuing to um, do advocacy initiatives, like I mentioned with UICC, participating in the World Cancer Day or Treatment for All campaigns that are some of the things that UICC has done before, uh, having fellowship opportunities to be able to partner oncology pharmacists with experts around the world to get a little hands-on experience at an institution that may be in a practice area that's different than what they are doing or in a developed country, for example. Yeah, I would think postgraduate education would be super important for cancer and oncology just by the nature of practice, I think, in that arena. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. As you as you probably are well aware, or most people are well aware, the number of drugs, at least in the United States and other developed countries like Europe, Australia, Canada, is rapidly progressing every year. So I think within the last, for as as an example, oral anti-cancer administered drugs, there have been 60 approved in the last five years. So a rapid amount of drugs being approved. Immunotherapy has uh, gained a lot of traction and um, used in a variety of cancers, et cetera. So I think we have to continue to have professional development opportunities for all of our members to stay on, you know, to be in the current uh, treatment of cancer. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us, Lisa, who should join ISOP? Yeah, ISOP is really geared for obviously pharmacy practitioners that can include pharmacists or technicians or pharmacy staff, depending on uh, the terminology that's used around the world, other support personnel, but also trainees can also uh, be a member as well. We would encourage healthcare professionals, but it is really geared towards the pharmacy profession. Um, we have a variety of member benefits that I think can support all of those pharmacy personnel types. And how long has ISOP been around now? And was it originated here in the US and why? Oh, excellent question. It's been around since 1986 and actually wasn't originated in the US specifically. Um, Helen McKinnon, who is a pharmacist um, at the 
Waikato Hospital in New Zealand, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, took leave from her work as an oncology pharmacist. And she actually came to the United States, but also the United Kingdom to work with oncology pharmacists and learn more about that. Um, she was very humbled by that experience and she wanted to be able to give back to other pharmacists like those pharmacists gave to her. So on her flight home from that experience, she dreamed of bringing a global organization together to benefit members all around the world, or pharmacists all around the world, that they could share and learn from one another. And so then in 1988, the first symposium was held in New Zealand, and they had over 150 people attend that symposium, and that's when ISOP became a full-fledged organization. That's awesome. I'm ready to go to New Zealand too, by yeah. the way, if you are too. I am too. <laughs> so what are some of the biggest challenges that ISOP has moving into 2020 and, and beyond? And, and what do you think those challenges might be? It almost sounds like you have the opposite problem of most of pharmacy and that there's a lot of new molecular entities coming out and a lot of challenge just in continuing education alone. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to keep up with the pace of new drug approvals is very difficult, I think, for any healthcare professional that works in the oncology arena. But pharmacists, obviously, are those experts in medications, and so we really need to keep track of those. And also, we are learning you know, new things about how to manage toxicity, such as with immunotherapies, et cetera. I think another challenge for our association is making sure that we can provide affordable member benefits because we're a global organization and not everybody within our organization and everybody in the world is fortunate enough to, to have income to support belonging to a professional organization or attending a, a meeting that might be held halfway around the world and not get any travel support from their own institution. Uh, that, that can create a challenge, but I think we have the opportunity to provide virtual uh, education. Um, and as we are able to do that more often, get sponsorship, uh, and have different technology platforms available to us, that will become more affordable, I think, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Live streaming is something that we're playing with a lot over at ASCP in the day job as well. So that's great. Yeah, I think one last thing I'd like to mention about challenges is that, you know, the cost of healthcare, particularly with cancer therapies, is exponentially growing as well. Um, and this is something that I think we struggle with in every country, but it becomes even more of a struggle in these low income areas where those drugs are hard to come by. Um, and so trying to be able to help uh, with our advocacy initiatives to handle and develop strategies to handle these high cost drugs, I think will be very important as well and a challenge. Yeah, I know six, or six protected classes was a huge issue in Congress this year that we were advocating for over at ASCP as well. So I'm sure oncology has to be part of that, uh, those six classes. So thank you for sharing those. Um, kind of shifting gears in terms of membership-based associations, there's a lot of literature out there that suggests that generations Y and Z don't join associations in the traditional sense that maybe Gen X and the baby boomers do. What is ISOP looking at to encourage the newer generations to join? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think, as you mentioned, all associations are struggling with that. Um, I think our perception is that that might be more common in the developed nations than in the less developed nations. Um, certainly, we're trying to offer member benefits that would be worthwhile. So as we mentioned before, professional development and continued um, updates on the current state of cancer treatment is really important to a practicing pharmacist, especially in the oncology area. So by providing uh, good professional development programs that are easily accessible, 
that may be on demand um, as opposed to showing up in person are things that we're exploring and trying to offer more of. We're also, uh, you know, within social media, you know, advertising what we offer, but also trying to be present so that they continue to hear our name in hopes that that will encourage them to join. Um, I think by offering globally more in-person educational opportunities that will encourage uh, some of those uh, folks uh, to see the value of ISOP and also to hear about them. So I think we don't have the magic answer currently and we're still trying to figure out what the best way to, to get to those folks, but um, those are some of the strategies we're using now. Yeah, and you may have already addressed my next question, and at least in part, but what are some of the biggest trends that will affect your members, do you think, over the next 10 years? And that might be a regional type question, too. Yeah, absolutely. The high cost of drug therapy, but also, as I mentioned, I think previously, the availability of drugs. So again, not all countries throughout the world have the luxury that the United States has of having drugs that are have been discovered and then made available uh, available to their population of patients. Um, I think that technology, uh, we've really seen a, a trend within developed countries of using technology for diagnosis, developing new drugs, um, delivering our care, and that might be something that we can uh, help share with our less developed countries maybe in an affordable manner to allow them to reach more patients and to provide more care in a way that they hadn't been able to do before. And I also think our increasing sort of globalization or, or uh, throughout our entire economic streams are, is probably going to affect how we, our members as well. And it's not quite clear whether that will be a benefit or that might be a, 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 a challenge that we have to overcome and how we're going to help them to provide the best care for their patients. Yeah, I, I see uh, the struggle is real with a lot of associations with different generations. So you're not alone in that challenge with the different generations. Um, this is my favorite question because I'm futuristic. So let's hop in our hypothetical time machine and go to December 2029. So 10 years from now, what do you hope to see for ISOP in that time frame? That's an excellent question. I think, you know, we really hope that we can achieve our, our mission or achieve it in a better way than we have so far by advancing the care for patients around the world who have cancer. By doing that, hoping to be able to bring affordable, best of practices to those patients. But what I would also love to see is our membership grow, not only because, you know, organizations tend to do better when their membership is larger, but mostly I think it's from, a, from the standpoint of we learn so much from uh, seeing other practices around the world, whether it's something that may, we may not have seen before, or we didn't consider before because we weren't in the same situation. So for example, when I went to Africa for our first regional symposium, I learned about the struggles that these folks are having because they don't, they're not able to diagnose cancers at an early stage because they don't have the technology or they can't get patients to the treatment center to get their cancer because they don't have transportation other than uh, a donkey or a cart or something like that. And so I think being able to uh, collaborate and learn from one another and to better the care for patients would be a great thing for every practicing oncology pharmacist. So if we could get more people involved and try to think outside of our own institution and the care of our own patients, we could actually probably improve the care of all patients around the world. Excellent. And Lisa, I, I 
didn't have this question pre-planned for you either, but I wanted to ask you, I know you're treasurer within ISOP right now. Can you talk a little bit about your personal reasons and motivations for getting involved, particularly in ISOP, and what roles you've held within ISOP? Sure. I think uh, I first got involved in ISOP when the organization had their first uh, U.S. symposia back in the late 90s, and I I really was mentored by one of my colleagues um, within the field of oncology pharmacy, and it was an opportunity to meet people from around the world, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and in doing so, I learned that that you could learn so much from others. Um, I think then further on in my career, um, there was a period of time where uh, I wasn't as involved in ISAP. I was just a member, but you know, continued to support the organization and learn from it, but I wasn't taking an active role. As my career advanced and I learned how important it is to be involved in associations because it's good to give back to your own, uh, own profession so that you can continue to have opportunities. I also like the idea of being able to think outside of what I'm doing right now um, to learn from those in other parts of the world because I think sometimes in the US we get a little self-centered and focused that we only we are the best and we do everything the best and that's not necessarily true right so we by learning from others you can actually improve your own practice and improve educating others within your field etc so that was really my my impetus for sort of becoming re-engaged in ISOP um, within the last 10 years or so. Uh, I went to the symposium on a regular basis and then um, helped on a, a couple of different committees. I was on the membership committee. Um, I have applied and received a research grant from ISOP um, to be able to study how to understand a little bit better patient education. And then I became, I ran for the secretariat so that I could help. Um, I thought my skills that I had learned when I was on the HOPA board um, of directors could um, be useful in trying to help ISOP grow even larger than it was and to have a better reach across the world. Um, so I held a secretariat position and then uh, decided to run for treasurer uh, because I had had that that knowledge of how the secretariat was working and I wanted to continue to uh, advocate for the organization and, and the pharmacist around the world. Yeah, I love that. And, and it's great that you've shared with our audience the different roles. I think that's a really important point too. Just like your career has lateral moves and you know, uh, 45 degree twists and turns sometimes, it's really good to know that as well with associations, you can kind of adapt and, and be flexible within your own role within the organization and serve in different capacities over time. So with that, Lisa Holly, treasurer of ISOP, tell us where the audience listening in can learn more about ISOP and get involved. Sure. So our website is www.isop, that's I, S as in Sam, O as in owl, P as in Paul, P as in Paul.org. Um, we have a lot of information available with on that website. Um, there are contacts that you can do if you have specific questions that are not available on the website. People are, I'm happy to answer any questions as well. Um, and I think that we have our next annual or annual symposium will be actually in 2021 in Seville, Spain. Um, and that information should be on our website shortly. And we'll be soon releasing information about our regional, our second regional oncology symposia in Africa in 2020. Yeah, I think you need to work on your locations. Just yes. kidding, just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. It is, 
it is one of the benefits to belonging yes. to an international organization. Um, as well as you know, developing colleagues from around the world um, and meeting new people. I think all of those are excellent benefits to belonging to any organization, but particularly one with a global reach. Yes, I love that. In the US, it seems like we always go to the same cities over and over. This is big, true. Yes. Yeah, for big <laughs> conferences. So I love that ISOP has this international flavor and has beautiful, amazing locations. That's, that's in and of itself an amazing feat. So with that, Lisa Holly, treasurer of ISOP, the International Society of Oncology Pharmacy Practitioners, thank you so much for being part of the podcast mini-series. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Erin. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Edutainer. I'm Erin Albert. If you could help us out and go over to Apple Podcasts and or your favorite listening arena for podcasting and give us a rating, that would really help us out. You know, I put this podcast together, don't make a penny on it. And I just do it because I love pharmacy. However, we need you to help support us as we move forward. I'm trying to think about how to develop this podcast in 2020. And I'll be honest, I probably am going to take a break after this mini series and really think carefully about it. Uh, I would welcome any input or ideas or thoughts you have about the podcast moving forward. I love to include not only pharmacy information as well, but also awesome books, authors, and inside medicine and healthcare as well as outside. So if you have thoughts on speakers or really cool, amazing authors that you've read and or anyone else you'd like to hear from out in the ether, just shoot me a tweet over at Aaron L. Albert. You can find me on Instagram at Aaron Albert. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Have you watched a LinkedIn Live yet? I've got all my episodes over there as well. And that's one grand experiment. But from what I've heard in 2020, everything is going to video. So for the girl with the face for podcasting, we'll do what, the best that we can with what tools we have available to us. With that, take care. And I'm sure I'll be back soon to continue on our new mini series.